this is the On The Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. Before we get going with episode 15 of On The Touchline, a few housekeeping items to pass along. On The Touchline is available on 10 different podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, among others. If you listen to this show on Apple Podcast, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and a review. And feel free to mention the show at any time if you like an episode on social media by using the hashtag on the touchline, all one word. You can also tag me at any time on Twitter or Instagram at SoccerCoachJB. New episodes of the show are available every Wednesday and every Saturday. In episode 15 of On the Touchline, I talked to Erica Suter. And you might know Erica as Fit Soccer Queen on social media. I've mentioned before in earlier episodes of why I started this podcast. And part of the reason is to connect everyday men and women to you as coaches, as players, as people in the soccer community, as moms and dads, family members, to give a glimpse into the lives of people trying to make a difference to move soccer forward in this country. Erica currently trains a number of athletes, a number of them soccer players, in Baltimore, Maryland. She played collegiately at Johns Hopkins University, also in Baltimore. I'm incredibly fortunate that every guest on this show has been interesting, has been different, and has brought a perspective into the life of being a soccer person. Erica makes some really interesting points in this episode, especially as it relates to hard work and consistency. The idea that player development is a marathon, not a sprint. True player development is up and down. It's peaks, it's valleys, it's messy. It's not a light switch. You can't just turn it on and magically become better. You have to work at it, you have to grind, you have to put the time in. If anyone's followed me on social media, you know that one of the people that I admire in his work is Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. He talks about this all the time. You can't read about doing push-ups. You have to go out and actually do them. So if you wanna get bigger, if you wanna get faster, if you get wanna get stronger, reading about push-ups doesn't do anything for you. The same applies when it comes to player development. If you put the time in, you put the hard work in, and are consistent over time, you will get better. Erica also has a pretty neutral take when it comes to talking about why a child should or should not play multiple sports versus specializing in only one sport. I think her answer is pretty balanced. All right, let's get into it. I hope you enjoy episode 15's guest, Erica Suter. Tell folks a little bit about your backstory and uh, how you've, I don't want to say more or less carved out a, uh, you know, a business or, um, you know, kind of your entrepreneurial side of, of what you do, because you have, you've really married two things together between sort of the fitness aspect of, uh, you know, fitness and nutrition and sort of, um, you know, taking care of oneself in, in that regard, but also your soccer background. And you kind of married those two together. And uh, tell folks a, a little bit about how you got to where you are, uh, you know, in your journey. Yeah, sure. So I've been involved in the game for about 20 years. So I started when I was really young, like seven or eight years old. And 
just grew up playing travel soccer in Maryland and then went on to play in college at Johns Hopkins University. So I've been in Maryland and stayed local my whole life. <laughs> um, and I'm still here coaching. But yeah, I've, I've just been involved in the game for so long. And when I got out of college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do as far as career. So I just decided to leave the country and go to Brazil. <laughs> um, so I went down there for a volunteer project to coach kids and that was for about nine months. So I lived there for almost a year coaching kids, but also I was able to train with Vasco da Gama, which is one of their semi-pro teams in Rio de Janeiro. So it was kind of an ideal situation because I was getting my feet wet as far as coaching and, and seeing if I enjoyed it, but I was still able to stay in the game even after college and play. Um, so then I get back from that trip and I start training, uh, youth athletes one-on-one in a small group setting or partner sessions. And I started as a skills trainer. And then from there, it just kind of grew, um, through word of mouth and referrals. And then I started incorporating the strength and conditioning side. So I got my certifications, went to graduate school for exercise science, and now 2019. And man, I don't, I don't even know how many athletes are, are working with me now, but it's probably around 100 to 150. <laughs> so oh been. it's been um, a, almost seven years in the making um, to get to this point, but I've just been really grateful for it. And I, I love the strength and conditioning and performance side of soccer. It's, it's almost like the behind the scenes work. Um, and I, I get pleasure out of building athletes behind the scenes and then just going out to see what they can do and, and how that translates on the field. So it's been, it's been really, really cool journey for me. Yeah, I, I love on social media when you share out that you're going to, you know, watch some of your players play and, yeah. uh, you know, sort of uh, putting into practice what uh, you're working on with them. So I, I guess my follow up question would be um, what goes into making a good soccer player when it comes to fitness or nutrition or um, and you can take that any way you want, because I know it's probably going to be age specific, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a, a U10 player is going to look a little different than a U, you know, U18 or U16 player. But, um, you know, maybe share a little bit about your experience uh, as to how you sort of make or build, uh, you know, a soccer athlete. Yeah, sure. So as far as the performance side of things, so um, your, your strength, uh, your power, um, all things that go into making a faster player and, and making a player able to do sport-specific skills. So if they want to shoot harder, they need to work on their, their leg strength, their core strength. Um, if they want to jump higher or turn faster, it's still going to be total body strength, uh, flexibility, also power development. Um, and then as far as the injury prevention side, so I kind of divide strength and conditioning into components, performance, and then the injury prevention side. Um, the injury prevention side, just ensuring players, and this can go for all ages, players can withstand the length of the game. <laughs> so um, I know like at the youth level games are around like 60, 70 minutes. And then as you get into the elite level, it's the full 90 minutes. So just ensuring that they're resilient enough, they're strong enough to withstand um, the running in the game, the, the contact, even the forces from non-contact and changing direction. So as far as my training, I try to keep it very simple and just develop the overall athlete. And yeah, we're, we're touching on everything, strength, power, uh, balance, coordination, running mechanics, um, tying the hips and the core together. So um, I found that just keeping things simple, but attacking all those components has worked the best for my athletes. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, well, I was going to say, so take me back to when you were a youth player and, you know, um, Maryland is a, a pretty rich soccer area, at least in my experience. Um, yes. <laughs> and, and, and I would say and not rich in terms of, you know, socioeconomics, but in terms of a lot of people playing the game and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of youth players. And I, I know the club that I currently work for, uh, we participate in tournaments, you know, in Columbia, Maryland, and a little bit closer to D.C. and yeah. know, Baltimore, Baltimore area and, and things like that. And, you know, knowing that Maryland and Virginia and D.C. and, you know, sort of the that radius has, you know, quite a few soccer players. And so what was your youth experience like uh, growing up in that environment and then getting into, you know, competitive soccer and then, um you know, tell me a little bit about the, I guess, the recruitment process to uh, to end up at Johns Hopkins. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think for me, growing up in Maryland was an ideal situation because, like you said, the soccer here is just, it's super rich. And there's a lot of great clubs. There's a lot of great coaches. And I was just lucky enough growing up that I had an amazing coach. (laughs) I know it's sometimes hard to find at a young age. And that's like the most important age, like when you're in elementary, middle school to have a good teacher and a good role model. And for me, I had a female coach who she played at UNC. So she was just like a powerhouse. And for me, she was not only a great teacher, but she was just a role model of who I wanted to be as a player. Um, I wanted to be someone who worked hard, who put in their own time, who had a good attitude and a genuine love and passion for the game. And she really brought that out of me. Um, And I also had uh, my own strength coach starting in eighth grade. So when I was about 12 or 13, and I guess you can say I started in strength and conditioning when I was that age. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I had a strength coach all through middle high school and college. And that was kind of the start of me getting into this field because growing up, I saw the immense benefits of working on my fitness, not only on the pitch, not only for getting faster and getting stronger, but just being a healthy person for a lifetime and being able to develop confidence to work hard at something and accomplish it. So there's there's more of like the mental component to strength and conditioning. And as I get more into coaching, I'm starting to realize that's why I'm doing what I'm doing and kind of coming back to that. Why? So yeah, I, I, I hope that answered your question. I know that was kind of a a mouthful (laughs) and I went off on a tangent. No, I, I, I love when folks get, um, you know, when get, when guests get really passionate about uh, those positive experiences that they've had, because you know, from time to time, I've shared um, the the lack of, uh, you know, those quality role models. And, you know, I, I, I'm i very careful to also not say, you know, my, my life growing up was pretty good. So, you know, it's yeah. not, a, not, a, not a pity party for Jason here. Yeah. But I also had, um, I, I guess I would just say underqualified. Um, and, I, you know, maybe that's the, the most delicate way to say it, where, just folks didn't have that knowledge. Um, yeah. both, you know, there were a lot of uh, coaches that had never played before that were trying to coach soccer. And, you know, part of the why I left soccer, um, it just wasn't fun anymore. And uh, it, lo- it felt like work. Um, yeah. You know, so. Um, so tell me about, uh, you know, kind of your philosophy or, you know, sort of the, the mindset you have when you train an athlete or when you're coaching an athlete, what's your style? Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, that's a, that's a, a, quite a multifaceted answer there, but uh, my philosophy with strength and conditioning mainly has to do with hard work and consistency. Um, so I could design the perfect fitness program for any athlete but it will only benefit them if they're doing it consistently for a long period of time. And what I've found is a lot of parents think that things like speed development and strength development happen overnight. They happen in just a couple months. Um, But stuff like that is going to be something that youth athletes are in for the long haul. 
So if we're starting with a middle school athlete at our facility, they're going to be with us for a year, two years, several years. And they might not see some of their results until a couple years. So I just like to reinstill the consistency and the, the athletes doing the work on their own to get to the next level. And again, this kind of comes back to instilling good habits in them beyond just getting ready for soccer. Like this is stuff that they should be doing when their career ends, doing something consistently, staying healthy consistently, staying strong for a lifetime consistently. So that's the, probably the overarching theme of what I do. Um, as far as just general programming, I'm really big on movement and coordination. Movement meaning can an athlete change direction efficiently? Can they balance themselves? Um, just basic stuff that is the foundation to the more complex stuff that we do when they're a little bit older. Well, I, I was going to say, and I've said this before on this podcast, but folks need to go back and, you know, replay that little uh, segment there because uh, Erica, you nailed it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, and I say that in a, in a slightly different mindset, but it, it very much applies to, you know, sort of the X's and O's and the tactics and technical training that, um, you know, a, a lot of coaches work on and work through because absolutely. Yeah. The, I mean, it marathon versus sprint and player the, development. Oh my God. And that is right. Exactly. It is a yeah. truly a lifetime commitment. It's not, you know, it's not, we're, we're not doing this for three months. We're not doing it for six months. We're not doing it for a week. Yeah. And the fact that there's, there's this sort of notion amongst folks that I've worked with at different times and, and maybe, you know, for all of us on this end of the conversation, just continuing to educate people. But there's this notion that it's like a light switch, right? And you just flip it on and you flip it off. And it's, I mean, that, that, you know, that, that is so not it. I mean, you have to grind and you have to put the work in and yeah, you, you could literally develop the best program in the world, right? I could develop the best training session in the world, the best technical session in the world, you know, you can come up with the, the best fitness routine, you know, uh, strength and conditioning routine, coaching routine, whatever. Yeah. If people don't put in the damn work, nothing matters. Yeah. You know, yeah. This, this isn't magic. This isn't like voodoo. It isn't like, yeah. you know, sprinkle the fairy dust on you and, oh, we're just magically great now. Like, yep. And, and just- Jason, you make such a good point because this, it just permeates into all the other components of the game. So, your technical skills, like lear- learning how to shoot is going to be an ongoing process. Like you're always going to be trying to improve your technique or maybe bend the ball a certain way. So that's just going to be ongoing. And then as far as learning the game, the tactical side, if, you're, if your coach plans the year and it's like perfect tactical periodization, but no one's showing up to practice or you're not showing up to practice two, three times a week, then, then you're not going to know how to work with your teammates. You're not, you're not going to know what, what runs to make. So the, the physical part's the same as all of this. And it, I think like sometimes people don't realize that the physical part is also a process, like those other components. Mm-hmm. They're, mm-hmm. they're taking their kids to all these skills coaches and they're like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll do strength training once a week. And it's like, I can't help you. Like I, Jason, I've turned down people who want to train with me just one time a week. I say, I say that does not align with my philosophy and how I want to develop your kid. So go, go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm lucky that I can, I'm at that point, but it just, just goes against everything I believe in as an athlete and as a coach. As a, uh, a chubby youth kid, uh, I could have uh, stand to benefit from a, uh, a strength and conditioning coach. So <laughs> <laughs> I, um, uh, I, you know, was, was uh, successfully wore the, the husky pants when I was a, a, a youth player. So, um, yeah, I, I probably would have benefited from training, you know, more than one night a week, uh, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it, it, tell me about Hopkins. Um, I'm curious. Uh, I had talked to a person yesterday and uh, had the opportunity to play at two, you know, uh, Division One colleges. And um, 
what was that like for you? Um, knowing, you know, uh, I, I had an opportunity to potentially play, um, you know, American football in college. I ended up turning it down and people look at me and they go, why, why in the hell did you do that? Like, you're crazy, right? Right. Um, I, I just got to a place in my life where I was kind of burnt out from doing that. And um, I just I needed to reinvent myself and kind of find another way. And I'm glad I did. Um, I have no no regrets about that. And, uh, you know, ventured in, into some other things. And part of that was actually kind of doing a, a late deep dive into a love of soccer. And it was always there. It just sort of got rekindled a little bit in college in a different way. And what was that like for you, um, you know, playing at Hopkins and sort of the grind and, you know, the regimen and, you know, that sort of thing? Yeah, uh, I had an an amazing college experience and I, I could just go on and on about it. Um, but so Hopkins is Hopkins soccer is a division three program. Okay. Um, so I was getting offers from big division one schools like in the ACC and the big 10. And I ended up choosing Hopkins, a division three program. And I, a lot of factors were at play for me. So I, I wanted a small school and a lot of D one schools aren't that (laughs) I wanted to be with a team that had a great culture And when I went on my recruit trip to Hopkins, I just loved the girls. I felt my personality fit in with the team. Um, I mean, the team was also a winning team. So Hopkins is D3, but they win their conference almost every year. So they, it's highly competitive. Um, They make the NCAA playoffs every year. So, um, and then just like, I wanted to be at a school for good academics and get a good education because I didn't know how far soccer would take me. Of course, we all want to play pro and we have that dream, but it's, it's a lot harder than we think. Um, so when, when we're kids, we don't realize that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think if anyone takes away something from this podcast is to just go to a school that's going to fill in all the buckets for you. So is do you fit in with the soccer team? Do you like the campus? Do you like the social life? Um, do you like the academics? So just being able to thrive in all uh, was very important for me. And I, I absolutely loved my college experience. I will say, I don't know how I did not fail out of Johns Hopkins, <laughs> but um, I, I think that being on the soccer team helped a lot with my academics because I was forced to kind of manage my time better but also I was so close with my team and a lot of us had similar majors and areas of study so we would study together and have that support group which was really nice so yeah I think just really keeping in mind all those things and not being so set on division one, just because it's division one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I, and I love that, um, you know, you truly made the best decision for you. And, you know, I, my, my wife and I were having a conversation last night at our house of, um, you know, sometimes it can get really easy to get wrapped up in the pressure of making a decision because other people feel you should do X, Y, and Z, right? But in the, at the end of the day, you know, those people aren't, aren't paying your bills. Those people aren't getting up and doing it for you. Those people aren't, uh, you know, uh, showing up to class or whatever. And you have to find the place or the situation that works best for you. And, um, you know, that, that's awesome to hear uh, just, a, you know, what a fantastic experience you had at Hopkins. Because I, I know you shared out on, on social media quite a bit, but, um, you know, the, we, we all have pride in our alma maters and, uh, you know, where we yeah. school, but, <laughs> Uh, that you go back there from time to time and, um, you know, sharing that out. I think that's pretty neat. So, um, so go in slightly, a slightly different direction. And uh, this comes up on, you know, soccer Twitter from time to time uh, in terms of, you know, and I've had this conversation with parents, uh, the, you know, should a kid be playing one sport? Should a kid be playing multiple sports? Um, you know, from your expertise or your experience, uh, you know, what would you say is best? Yeah, um, I think it's going to be a case by case basis. I, I wouldn't want to say specializing is wrong or playing multiple sports is wrong. 
I think there's benefits to both. Um, So there could be a situation where a youth player just loves soccer, just only wants to play soccer, like lives and breathes it and doesn't want to get involved in another sport. And that's, that's their decision. And we can't, we can't get mad at that kid and be like, well, like, you need to diversify, like, these are the benefits. We, we can't really force a kid to enroll in other sports if they truly just want to play one. So I think when someone is specializing early, um, coaches and parents just have to keep in mind that they should get adequate rest. So they shouldn't be playing every month of the year, like, hot, like competitively. They should take – a month, a month or two off and maybe just, you know, hit the playground or play recreational sports or play some pickup basketball, just do something else. So I think that's how to navigate the early specializing kid. Um, And then as far as the kids who want to play other sports, so oftentimes I'll see soccer players also playing lacrosse and (laughs) it kind of ends up being a big problem here because lacrosse and soccer are in the same season. They're in the spring. So yes, it's good to play multiple sports, but if they're ending up in the same season, then that's when I would be concerned about overuse injury. So if they're going to be playing multiple sports, just make sure it's separate seasons or maybe um, the kid wants to play competitive travel soccer and then that second or third sport is going to be more rec and less serious so that their coaches aren't totally getting on them and they're able to show up to their primary sport which is soccer mm-hmm. um so um i think it, it really just depends on the situation and there's definitely like solutions to navigate so um just going off of those examples um, I think that should clarify it a bit for people. Um, but yeah, I mean, playing multiple sports is great for a soccer player. So if they want to play lacrosse or basketball, they're able to work more on their upper body strength, their core strength, their upper body power, which are some things that soccer doesn't do. So it's nice to get just like that diversity of, of movement and fitness. So yeah, that's my my succinct answer on that one. <laughs> I, man, you you played it like you know right down the middle of the fairway. Uh, if I was a golfer, you know that was like yeah. uh, <laughs> spot on because um, you know it it's fascinating to me when folks really take a, a strong side. And yeah. m- my stance as a coach at the youth level has always been, uh, you know, I, I encourage my players to play multiple sports and. You know, as long as we can work together with the parents, with the player, us as a coaching staff and come to something that is fair for everybody, I'm good with it because, you know, who who am I to tell uh, a family what they feel is best for them? I mean, I have kids on my team right now. You know, I have have kids playing basketball. I have kids playing hockey. Um, I have kids that do baseball. Um, And so... You know, in in a weird sort of way, all these things and sort of the coordination and the movements and, you know, whatever else, I mean, they all kind of intersect with one another anyway. So exactly. Yeah. You know, I I mean, I I don't want. Yeah. And and there are kids, my son being one of them, that I I have asked him numerous times, Erica, you know, hey, do you want to try basketball? You know, I I played basketball a little bit growing up. Um, You know, I played baseball. I played American football. Um, do you want to, you know, maybe try golf or, or something like that or any other, you know, any other sport? Uh, you, you tell me hockey. Um, and he goes, you know, I, I just really like soccer and I'm content doing soccer. And I said, yeah, cool. uh, you know, I'm not going to force you to do something and be a thousand percent miserable doing it when you yeah. know, you know, and yeah, occasionally, I mean, if he and I are just in the backyard and it's, you know, an off night and we're just, you know, kicking the ball around, I mean, we'll pull out the American football or we'll pull out a baseball and just kind of pass a little bit. But yeah, I mean, for him, he doesn't necessarily want, or I guess he feels he doesn't need yeah. that, that structure of another sport. And, yep. uh, and, and that's fine. You know, and that's I think, fine. I think it's awesome that, you know, you, you go out with him and you, 
you throw the football around. And I think for any kid who's sticking to one sport, I think the parents should kind of take responsibility to get their kids outside and just expose them to different movement, Um, climbing trees, playgrounds. I mean, you don't really, you don't see that as much nowadays and maybe I'm living in a dream world over here, but it's, that's Mm -hmm. probably the best form of, athletic or strength and conditioning development for a middle school athlete just get them outside on a playground you yeah. know you got well, you got slides you got monkey bars you got balance beams like it's crazy it's like a, their own strength and conditioning gym for free yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I, I i totally get why we've done it as a society because yeah. there are some some creepy and, and some bad people out there for sure yeah. um i also understand exactly what you said because i think you and i probably had that experience growing up where, you know, I would go to, there's a a local uh, park not far from where I grew up and there would be a basketball game going on literally from sunup to sundown. And, and, you know, and it was kids, you know, three, four, five years older than me. Um, You know, and you sort of, you got to find your place when you're there. Right. So if you're, you know, Hey, little man, you want to play? Yeah, sure. Okay, great. Um, But, like you said, it's sort of then you're learning different things. Or if you go to the park and you're just kind of, you know, uh, hanging out with some friends or whatever. And again, totally get why we are the way we are. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of put the, um, you know, some of the barriers up that we do because uh, there are some, unfortunately, some some really bad people out there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So so I'm fascinated by folks that I would put in the category of entrepreneur. And folks who, um, you know, that puts them, put themselves out there in terms of their work. And, you know, I, I know you do a lot of writing, which I've read quite a bit of your stuff. All very good, by the way. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but t- tell me what that's like for you in terms of, you know, like you said, you're now in a position where, you know, you have a few hundred people coming to you. You have, you know, regular clientele. You can maybe turn some people away that aren't quite what you're looking for. You know, sort of that mindset of how did you get there? And, um, you know, to, to tell other people, like, yeah, you, you can actually do this. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's never easy, but you have to start somewhere. And, you know, here you are. Yeah. Um, well, I'd say... Um, I'm no business expert here because I'd say my life is organized chaos at the, <laughs> for the past seven years. Um, but I think what what led me to this much success and being able to have a consistent client base is not going outside of my work to look for business or, or not trying to like advertise or, or bring in people but more so just doing well, like really well with the people I currently have. So when I started, I just had like a handful, maybe like five kids. And I just, I I was so pumped that I was even just like training people and just went above and beyond. And my passion showed and it showed for seven years. And now it's led me to this point. Um, I think a lot of people get caught up in, the fluff of business. I mean, it's not really fluff. It, it is important, has its place, but like the marketing, the, the advertising, it, it's stuff that you don't really need to pay attention to when you're getting started. Just start training people and doing super well with them <laughs> because word of mouth is probably the most powerful marketing tool out there. And I would say like a lot of strength and conditioning coaches who are successful as entrepreneurs would say the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I completely agree with you. And um, yeah, I mean, at some point you got to take that leap, right? And you just got to jump into the deep end and say, let's kind of see where this goes. And I, I love Erica, what you said about the sort of like the quality aspect of it that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're training one or a hundred uh, players or athletes of giving them that dynamic, you know, sort of knock their socks off type of experience where they walk out of there going like, Oh my God, I can't wait to come back and do this again. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, Co- yeah. Co- coach Erica just kicked my butt, but man, that was fun. And yeah. I wanted, you know, want to do it again. And um, yeah. yeah I, I, I think... I, go oh, go ahead. 
<laughs> no, go ahead. Um, yeah, I think it's it, it's you got to be knowledgeable as a coach. You have to know strength and conditioning. You have to know the science. But people stay for like you because this is like a human to human business. That this isn't like you know I'm a I'm a walking textbook here like telling you what to do. Um, it's more, you know, we're making a connection like coach athlete. Um, and that, that's why they stay. They stay because they enjoy the energy from the session or they enjoy my sarcastic jokes or whatever it is. <laughs> um, it's, it's definitely important to let your personality show. And that's, that's truly what your athletes will remember you for or the, or the message you're, you're trying to send to them your overall mission. So that that's definitely been important. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I, I mean, I would add care and I would add yeah. trust that, you know, we as coaches care about the people we're working with. Um, you know, that has been, I was thinking about that actually, as I was driving in um, to my, my other job this morning <laughs> and I was going, you know, there has been one theme, you know, every person I've talked to on this podcast has been incredibly different and from all parts of the country uh, yet there's one theme that there is, everybody wants to help other people. There is like this true, like giving of themselves to other people. And yes. it is, it has been consistent across the board. Um, that's my personality. That's part of why I got into coaching. Um, but it, it's also, you know, that, uh, long-term impact I think we can have on them. Right. So, you know, the, the, um, sort of admiration you talked about some of the coaches you had, we want to pay it forward. We want to be those people to young people where they look back and go like, you know, I didn't have a shitty youth experience. Like, yeah, you know, so. No, that's, it's so important. And I I think it's so cool because now, now I'm kind of getting to the point where I've worked with girls since they were like 12 years old and now they're like just in college or getting out of college and they, they come back to the facility. They come back. They're like, I want to work out. Like, I, I need to stay active. And I'm like, holy crap. Like, you guys are, like, obsessed. Like, this is cool. Like, yeah. And then we just kind of reminisce. We're like, wow. Like, remember that day when we did, like, 30 hill sprints? And it's just it's just so fun to just, like, stay in touch and just see the, the impact you're having on them. Like, I, that – and, again, it's just, like, coming back to that long-term thing, like – starting with someone that young and seeing them all the way through college and out of college is just crazy to me. Like I'm not Mm -hmm. that old, but I feel like I'm getting old. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I I, I know, you know, you're, I I would call you a workaholic. And I think (sighs) a lot lot of us as coaches are are probably, you know, workaholics and you use the term very, very well, you know, organized chaos. Uh, So I'm curious, how do you take care of yourself knowing that, you know, um, you need to be available to people. You need to be accessible to people. We don't, we have off days, but we don't really have off days, right? Yeah. Um, so what do you do to, you know, uh, take care of yourself in, in that regard? Um, well, I do a lot of deadlifts. No. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> well I, I was going to say, I mean, to, to that end, that if people watch any of your uh you know, social media videos. I don't know if it was Instagram or Twitter of you with like the chain around your neck doing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, girlfriend, you're crazy. You know, yeah. well, so. it's, it's funny. Cause I, I have like a one non-negotiable thing and it's, I need to get in at least four days a week of my own strength training. I don't care how busy I get. I'll get up at 5am and do it. Um, but that's like, that's just like a personal habit of mine. And it's important to me. So I think me continuing to keep my physical health good has allowed me to have like the energy for my athletes and to not, I guess, burn out. Um, So just really taking care of my physical health. And then as far as my mental health, I definitely have days where I just shut off the, the computer and the phone, maybe for a full day or several hours at a time. And I'm, I'm kind of an introvert and oddly enough, like I'm super like sociable at work and when I'm coaching, but when I get home, I'm just like, I just don't talk to people. (laughs) Like I get home and my friend is like, Oh, tell me about your day. And I'm like, Nope, I'm going to my room. (laughs) 
Um, so I just kind of like to be by myself to recharge, but I've been making a lot of time for my best friends and family. It's, it's nice for me because a lot of my friends work in different industries. Um, they're doing like creative work or, or medical work. And it's just nice to be around people who I can talk to about other things with, um, talk to about life or, um, something that doesn't have to do with work and entrepreneurship. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, and I also love snowboarding and I like to escape to the mountain every now and then. So (laughs) that's also how I recharge. Yeah. That's a, uh, definitely a good release for sure. It's amazing. Um, Yeah. So, uh, I I guess two questions to, to finish up. Um, one, where do you see all this going? I'll start with that one. And I, I have the, the question that I ask all guests uh, when they come on the show. So I'll save that one for a sec. But where do you see all this going? Oh, gosh. Um, I, do, I want to stay in coaching. Um, I know I'll always be in the strength and conditioning world for soccer players. I don't have any desire to work with college or professionals and I've tweeted and I've written about this so many times because everyone asks me (laughs) and I'm like why does that have to be the end goal (laughs) I I honestly I just want to keep working with kids um I want to keep coaching in person I want to keep growing online and releasing more products on youth strength and conditioning just because I feel there's just there's not a lot of information out there. So I have a couple of things in the work for 2019. Obviously I released total youth soccer fitness this past fall. Um, but I might be working on a print version or a 2.0 version of that. Um, and then just when I get in my forties and fifties, I might want to teach, teach uh, exercise science or be a professor. So I don't know. I, I, I didn't know seven years ago I'd be where I'm at now. I would have told someone they were insane. <laughs> <laughs> um, you'd be working with like over 100 athletes at a time. I would have been like, um, hell no. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's just been a, a, a journey, a process for me and just kind of taking it a day at a time and just doing my best. And yeah, I I'll always want to work with kids and in strength and conditioning. I know that for sure. Yeah. I, I love the influence that, um, you know, you, you want to have on, on youth athletes. And, uh, and I say that for two reasons. Um, it's not just training them to be better physically, you know, yeah. in terms of their body or their nutrition or their speed or, you know, strength or, or whatever. But I mean, it comes down to two things in my opinion, uh, problem solving skills and coping skills. Yeah. And I would, and I would imagine Erica after a workout that you have tested both of those things, right? I mean, you're pushing people to the brink of their abilities and, yeah. you know, I, I mean, and we talk about this a lot on this show that, I mean, it comes back to, we're not just training them for the immediate, but we're training them for life. And exactly. It, it doesn't matter if they go into the medical field, you know, some of the fields that, you know, you mentioned for your friends or whatever, that they're going to need those skills at some point in their life. I mean, yeah, all of us as adults, you know, we, we get pissed off, right? So how do you cope, yeah. cope with that? You know, how do you solve a problem if, uh, you know, something doesn't go right or whatever? And instead of having a meltdown about it, you know, you work through it and it's having that mental wherewithal to process it and, you know, kind of move along quickly to, to something else. So I, I love that. And um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, who knows? I, I Part of it, part of the fun, I think, is kind of not knowing where the journey is going, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not like, you know, by the time I'm 40, I need to do this. And by the time I'm 45, I need to do that. Like, right. You know, it just kind of plays itself out and happens, you know, the way it's supposed to, I think. So, yeah. And, and I think it's, it's also good to just surround yourself with people who kind of share your values as far as a coach and as a person and just kind of support each other and encourage each other along the way. Um, I've definitely had some really good mentors and people push me to do things I didn't think I could do uh, career wise. So that's also been a huge help. And yeah, just kind of keeping awesome people around and, and learning from each other. Yeah. 
So the, the question that we typically end the show with, um, so what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong when it comes to youth soccer uh, in the United States? Oh, God. <laughs> that is tough. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to answer that question because I, I'm not a club coach. I'm not... I'm not in that coaching world. I'm more like behind the scenes of it all in the gym. <laughs> um, as far as what we're doing wrong, I think we definitely could focus on player development more. I don't really care about what leagues or, or what, what the standings are or how many wins and losses you have. I'd rather just see a system where we're training, we're practicing, and we're developing players. <laughs> and we're, we're not worrying about the wins and losses. For any parent or any uh, fellow coach that works at the youth level, um, go, go just put that on loop and let that one play over and over again. Um, because <laughs> it, it's refreshing to hear that. And I, I agree with you. And I think, uh, you know, part of the I don't know if the word's advantage or part of the, the role that you're in, like you can look at it truly with like, you know, a clear view. You're not, uh, you know, influenced necessarily by, you know, uh, sort of wins and losses or whatever. Like you're just there to get people better. Right. And to yeah. have them be yeah. the best version of themselves and feel good about themselves. And it's like, leave it all out on the field. And yeah. I, I man. I, I and really it's interesting. Cause like from, a college recruiting perspective. So when like a college coach goes to a tournament, they don't care what the score is. They just want to see good soccer. Yeah. They just want to see kids playing the game. They want it to, they want to see kids enjoying the game and making each other better. And mm -hmm. they don't care if it's five, nothing or tied or whatever. They just want to watch beautiful soccer. Well, yeah. it, 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 sometimes I think folks forget that there are good players on bad teams <laughs> and yeah. that, uh, you know, uh, even if, uh, you know, uh, a record doesn't necessarily indicate how good a team is or isn't, I mean, there's still good players there. So uh, don't necessarily write them off. So if, yeah. uh, if folks want to connect with you, I know you're highly active on social. So what is the best way for them to, uh, to get in touch if uh, they want to reach out? Sure. So my website is www.ericasuter.com. It's also on my Twitter handle, which is Fit Soccer Queen, and also on my Instagram, which is also Fit Soccer Queen. I, I went this whole interview without saying anything about your handle on <laughs> Twitter or Instagram because I know people basically refer to you as that they don't even know your name right uh, no they don't and yeah I I think I wrote an article on what what it means <laughs> um so I I'm secretly very into the fashion industry <laughs> um I love it almost as much as soccer so that's kind of where like the queen comes from um so yeah, it's like this weird juxtaposition of me being this like hardcore fit chick, but also this like girl who like loves fashion and like dressing up and like being girly. Gonna... So that's kind of where that stemmed from. You're like soccer Beyonce, you know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> ready to take on the world and, and kick some ass. And it's also like a, a personal branding type thing. Like it's, it's memorable, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No. Oh, for sure. For sure. And uh, I, I think you've done a really good job of, uh, you know, marketing yourself and, um, you know, again, to, to, to have no fear when it comes to putting yourself out there. I mean, because, uh, you know, um, the minute you do that, I mean, you open yourself up for the, the naysayers or the, the haters to come on out and, you know, tell you, you know, ask questions or what, you know, how do you know about this or whatever? And it's like, Hey man, like, I'm just trying to make the world a little bit better than it was yesterday, you know? Right. So. Right. And it's, I, I've been, I've been pretty lucky to not have any, you know, like haters or people, you know, trying to troll. Um, there, yeah. there'll be times when people just, they'll disagree and it's like, okay, like 
like I prefer to get on the phone with someone if you know we we disagree on like a training method and and I've definitely done that before because I think the Twitter character limit really limits to what you know you can say to someone who disagrees with you so yeah um, if that ever happens I'm just like hey like email me like let's talk like outside of this and that's that's happened a couple of times and it's actually like benefited both of us like having that conversation off social media so I try to do that as much as possible because it's it's a win-win for everyone yeah I, I think that's fantastic advice and I've learned very early to not take any of it uh, personally because yes um, you know you're exactly right a whole lot can get lost in translation when you're mm-hmm. trying to have a, a social media conversation with somebody and misinterpreting yeah. and, and what have you so uh, absolutely <laughs> Erica, I can't thank you enough for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast and uh, sincerely wish you all the best. Um, I look forward to to following along your journey. And yeah, next time uh, I'm in the Baltimore area or if you're out in Pittsburgh, I mean, definitely would uh, meet up for a coffee or something and, and go from there. Well, thank you, Jason. This was this was one of the best conversations I've had on a podcast. So I really appreciated it. And um, yeah, I hope we can do a part two or uh, discuss in person soon. <laughs> My sincerest thanks to Erica Suter for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. Erica, I wish you nothing but success in your soccer journey, and I hope we have the opportunity to meet up sometime and talk more and standing invite uh, as with all of our guests that if you ever want to come back on the show you can do that at any time before we close up shop on episode 15 a friendly reminder that new episodes of this show are available every wednesday and every saturday So please be sure to subscribe to the show and that way you don't miss any new episodes when they become available. The next few weeks of the show are going to be on fire. Have some heavy, heavy hitters in the game of soccer coming your way and I think you'll enjoy those quite a bit. This has been the On the Touchline podcast and until next time, I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. (laughs) 